Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And uh, this week I decided that it would be a good idea to start recording right away, even <laughs> if we have kind of like bullshit stuff to talk about before we get into the show. I was going to say, because, you know, it's been like two Couple weeks. weeks. Yeah, since we've actually just talked, talked. Yeah. So, oh, man. So, you know, you had your, I'll call it a customer service tirade, but I don't think that's a a fair description of what happened. Um we oh, at the garden? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Friday was my daughter's fifth birthday. So, we invited I can't all of that. Yeah. Neither can I. So crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, we invited her whole class because that's the rules. And, you know, we had no problem with that. So, I think seven kids ended up showing up. So, like, we did it at my parents' house because they have a bigger backyard and we got a bounce castle. So, would not have fit in our yard anywhere. <laughs> so it, was, it was so big, but like it wasn't unmanageable. Like my dad and I like rolled it up today and it was like 160 pounds. Like it was surprisingly like light for as big as it was because it was like 14 by 10 feet or something. And then, you know, however tall bounce house is. So yeah. we leave my house at like 8.30 to get to my parents' house by nine and the party starts at 10. So then my wife tells me she forgot the cake, but had brought the cupcakes because I put the cupcakes in the car and forgetting there was a cake. So I had to go back and get the cake. And then I had to go get the balloons because the balloons didn't get filled up to a certain point. So like I'm quickly losing time on enjoying the party, but it's a five-year-old's birthday party and I don't really know any of the other parents. So I'm not like missing anything huge because you know they're obviously not opening gifts or anything you know like memorable let's say yeah yeah i'm just missing and watching them jump on the bounce house which would be fun but you know you see a kid jump on a bounce house and nearly throw up because they've jumped for too long eh, it's kind of how it is so <laughs> you know my favorite local pizza place is chinelos mm-hmm. like for a long time you could get like a large 14 inch pizza one topping for like 8.99 so there's the Chinelos uh, in Aragona, and then there's the Chinelos on Shore Drive. Those are the closest Chinelos. Yeah. So on Friday, my wife was putting in the order for the pizzas, and we're like, she was doing, you know, like all this complex math, and I was like, okay, let's just get eight pizzas at 64 slices. If that's not enough, we had eight pizzas, like, <laughs> and we got a veggie, two veggie trays. What are, what are you going to do? So she goes on their website and like, because the zip code that my parents live in is like really long, like it shows the one on shore drive, which is like 15 minutes from my parents' house. The one on Aragona is five minutes away. Like if that, so I was like, no, 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 don't get the one on shore drive, get the one on Aragona. So she redoes it puts in the order and it's like, everything goes through. It's fine. So, you know, 
like I had to go back to Norfolk to get the cake and then came back and then had to go back to Norfolk to get the balloons. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, it's a comedy of errors. But, you know, the people at the balloon place were great. Like, you know, it was, it was going fine. So I pulled up at the Chinellos and like there's somebody in a car listening to not like ob- obnoxious hip hop music, but like louder than I thought it should be like putting on makeup. And I'm like, I walk up to the door and it won't open. So I'm like, okay, maybe the person's in the back, you know, prepping or something like that. And, you know, from a security standpoint, they lock the door. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. So I call ring, you know, I can hear it ringing. It's loud as dig (laughs) the ringing. And I don't hear somebody going, Hey, like just a minute or, you know, like something like that. Like, sure. And, you know, who would be yelling at the phone? Like, I don't know why I was thinking that, but maybe they realized, like, they saw me, like, on a security camera. You know, something like that, where it's like, oh, okay, like, he's, that's the guy calling, because I'm standing there, and like, the front door ringing. And so, like, we're supposed to pick it up at 11, between 11.45 and 11.55. So, just sitting there, sitting there, try calling again. And then this guy walks up, or, like, the lady who I thought was the employee just not doing their job putting on makeup was like this older lady and she just kind of walked off like somewhere else. So it's like in their parking lot, but not necessarily going to that business. But I think there's a church next door that shares the same parking lot. I'm never really sure on the parking situation there. So I was like, okay, that's not the the lady. So this guy rolls up and he like tries to open the door and I'm like, yeah, no one's there. And he has this look like, this is my job and no one's here. This is not good. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And then this uh, like young girl pulls up and, you know, they're trying to like, he was working there and he's like, well, what if we can deliver it? And I'm like, dude, I have like 30 people at my parents' house waiting for pizza. Like if your person like walked out 10 minutes after everything was prepped and just didn't do anything, maybe you could get eight pizzas together in 30 minutes. But the party was going from 10 until two. It's like, what What are you going to do? And, you know, I, I didn't handle it the way I wanted to. And, but like, I submitted like a thing on their website that I'm sitting outside and like, no one's reached out to me. You know, it's one of those situations where it's like, it was like $130 order. And like the person, like she was the guy like, I can't tell if it was like the store manager and she was from corporate or like how it was working out, but it didn't seem like she was the boss, the girl and the gentleman. It seemed like they were like somehow equal status, but she said she was from corporate or whatever. And I was just kind of like, okay, don't really know what's going on here. But like, they just like, Oh, she's like, you know, went to the hospital or something like that. I'm like, no, she didn't. She just didn't show up. Cause they made it so attractive to not have a job. So like I was very angry at this person. I wanted her to be fired because I knew it wouldn't matter. Like I'm assuming she's some young kid. And if she was really in the hospital, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but I doubt it. And straight up effed up my kid's birthday party. And like, I went to two little Caesars to see if they had any hot and ready. And like, I violently hate little Caesars. Like, it gives me heartburn immediately. I do not care for it. Like I just won't eat it. So I went to like little Caesars, like on diamond Springs, which was you know five minutes away. That wasn't bad, 
But then I ended up having to go to Shore Drive anyway <laughs> to try this little Caesars. So I just, just let her order it from Shore Drive. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So it was just but, one of those yeah. like, but you know, everybody like my, so like I tried going to Harris Teeter to get pizza. I try, like I called my wife after like telling her like, Hey, there's, it's no go on the pizza. I was like, I could get fried chicken at Harris Teeter and we've got like, you know, um, uh, what's it called? Like uh veggie trays. Like, okay, maybe that'll work. And she's like, I already told everybody like we're just doing cake. So as I'm driving, I'm thinking like, I'm going to miss the happy birthday, like everything. And so as like, I'm rolling into the backyard. I see that my wife's putting the candles on. She's like, yeah, I started to light the candles and then remembered like, you're not here. I should wait. You're not that far away. <laughs> so, <laughs> you oh, know, okay. it's one of those things like really, really irked me. And like the entire time I was just like, mother effing Ralph Northam, Joe Biden. I hope he jokes on his dentures. <laughs> like, cause they like, if like, let's just say that they overreacted with Corona, put all this stuff in place and then went like, Hey, 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 way like our overreaction. Once they realized it wasn't what they think they thought it was, you know what I mean? Like, started walking everything back and we're like, we're not really sure how to undo this. So we're going to keep the unemployment benefits up because we know a lot of people are scared to go to work, you know, kind of like one of those situations. I would still be exceedingly angry about the situation, but I wasn't, I wouldn't be as angry as I was because it was just like, they didn't have to do any of this. And they, they've dragged it out for 24 months or whatever it is at this point. Like, this is all bullshit and it's all because of government malinvestment like yeah. and like malfeasance in the economy. And it was just, and like I had gotten in like an art, like I posted on Reddit, like about somebody was like saying like, why is it seem like I'm the only one paying for their light rail? It was like some guy who was actually paying and everybody else was just riding for free because you know, they don't check anything on the tide. And I was just pointed I'm out surprised the fact that, that like, anybody rides it considering it doesn't yeah. really go anywhere. Exactly. So like I pointed out the fact that it was like the biggest money loser and this guy like came back and was like, you know, like, oh, it did blah, blah, blah. All these other things lose money. And like, and I just thought them it's like, so you're saying we should do something because it's so you're telling me that because other things lose money, we should do other things that lose money. That's okay. And then like, I was like, that's silly. Like I, you know, I wasn't like, as far as I could tell, like I wasn't exceedingly rude. I didn't be like, Hey, I'm a black, like black and gold flag anarchist. And you have no idea what you're talking about. So go eat the end of a gun. <laughs> like I, you know, I was perfectly cordial about it. Just like, that's silly. Like if something's losing money, like just cause something else loses money doesn't mean you should also engage in things that lose money. That makes no sense. And like came back and was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like the government programs, you just start raising your voice. And I was just like, and he was like saying that, like, you know, arguing that something was silly because like, you know, two wrongs make a right, i.e. lose money on both is a non-argument. And I was just like, you're, and I, like, I wrote multiple responses and deleted them. And I finally just responded with, you're not in the position to tell someone what's an argument. Have a good day. And like, yeah. just took the Michael Malice road. I wanted to be like, have you ever considered you're one of the bad guys? But then like, 
the person like res- tried to like responded like again some long paragraph and i just wanted to like start like sending like links to anatomy of the state because then like i was so angry about that too like i listened to anatomy of the state as i was doing all that running around again i was just like must oh, yeah. get <laughs> like, pure energy. and i just wanted to send like chaos theory like in, in anatomy of the state and it's like show me one logically consistent argument against this because the person responded back with like, like I think, and I want to just respond. It's like, well, I think taxes are stupid. And I think the fact that you think you can tell me what to do with my money is abhorrent. So kill yourself. Like I, you know, I was just so mad about that. And then the pizza thing, I'm just like, having government ruining my day. <laughs> like, yeah. And then it ended remember? up fine. Like it was a great yeah. birthday party. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was yeah. usually things like that. They do. You know, I kind of believe in that everything sort of works out in the end, at yeah, least for it, me. It's uh, one of those things where it's like either it was going to be like real bad, like they would have somehow popped the bounce house, like legit, like some kid took a knife in there and like destroyed it, not like it just failed, that sort of thing. Like it was either going to go like exceedingly bad from there or work out like you said, you know, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So. Do you the sort of on the light rail note, do you remember I had that I'll I'll use the term loosely, that socialist friend that he's actually more Federale's friend, I think, and he would come over sometimes to talk comic books and stuff. Yeah, I can't remember and, his name. Yeah, I don't remember his name either. And he was like a barista or something, but also yeah, had like two college degrees. Yeah, yeah. And I remember one time having an argument with him mm-hmm. about uh and this was like an in-person argument where he was like, well, more people just need to use a light rail. And I brought up that Cato article and I was like, there, there's not a single light rail system in the Western world that is even revenue neutral there. Yeah. And the worst of all of them is in Norfolk, which is actually, I think it's the second biggest loser, but now it is like, it has moved out of that, but I don't know where it ranks anymore. I yeah. think with COVID, they stopped publishing things like that. Uh, that's possible. And then I said, I said, if you really are dedicated to public transit, the smart thing to do would be to not fund light rail at all and to switch to busing because the, the roads already exist. So you're not paying for the cars, the passengers, and an infrastructure that doesn't already exist. And that's right. not so this was What's that? And that's not movable. Like. Right, exactly. And so, and and that's the other thing about busing is that it's flexible. So mm-hmm. like if things go wrong, you know, you just send a different bus. You have like backup buses. Anyways, it's all it's all in the Cato article. We actually did an episode about it like early on in the show, I think. Yeah. We've um, done several on light rail. <laughs> yeah. And I remember his response was, well, we should just do both. And I got, I, and at that point, I was kind of like, oh, this is like one of the early points when I realized there's just no point in having conversations with these people. Yeah. Because they don't have any concept of, of anything. Like they don't have any concept that like there's a finite, there's like a finite amount of like money to go around in general. And that just because the government, and we'll get into this actually because it'll it'll involve my article a little bit, just because the government says so sends such distortions to the market that it will affect many, many other things. You can't mm-hmm. just, it's sort of, I mean, it's like, you know, like the green new deal or whatever, where it's like, and we're, we're going to do all of these different things. Like, and like part of it is that in 
a five-year period of time or a 10-year period of time or something like that. We're basically going to demolish all buildings and rebuild them all. Yeah. And you're like, on what planet? Now, granted, I don't actually think those people that propose those types of bills, the, the ones in government, I don't think they actually believe that's possible. <laughs> but the plebes do. When they're like, well, what, why can't they? The government will just print money. It's it's sort of like Tim Pool actually talks about this all the time because he, he uh, had these kind of interactions through the whole COVID thing when people are like, well, just lock down the economy. And he's like, you don't understand where food comes from. And he's like, yeah, of course I do. It comes from the store. And he's like, yeah, but if there's nobody producing the food like, and the shelves are empty, where's the food going to come from? And he goes, it's not quite this stupid, but his example is always like, well, they'll just go to the back of the store and get it. Yeah, there's there's no like there's no concept that like we literally, you know, like you look at like the asparagus that I have at my house right now. It's from Peru. Like it didn't just magic its way out of my backyard into my fridge. It literally came from halfway across the world in another hemisphere. And I spent like four dollars on it, you know, like yeah. and it's a big thing of asparagus like yeah that's that's what's so in like so i think i think i've actually come up with the root cause of this issue now at least in the current the current millennial generation student loans have no consequence so people are taking on these monster debts for these college degrees that they've been told their entire lives they have to get and then like, you know, you can do the 25 year as you earn repayment thing. And basically after 25 years, when you have not paid it off, they just write it off. Yeah. Like they, they, there's no concept that like you've just signed on for $80,000 to talk about like the left eye pigment on some Van Gogh painting. Like I was going to come up with some super offensive like woman studies or something like that, but I <laughs> went with that art degree. But like yeah. you're blowing all this money and like, you know, if you were getting a degree from Harvard in art studies, yeah, that might actually be valuable. But you went to like Roanoke Rapid City College. That's somehow a four-year program. And it's mm -hmm. like you didn't get any practical skill out of that. Like we are affluent in the West, but you still have to do work. And that's kind of the thing that's like terrifying to me. Cause like, let's say that <clears throat> one of my business schemes works out and I suddenly start making like a good living. Now it's just like, I'm producing like, say just like a, you know, let's say I was producing twice what you and Victoria are making. It's right. like, that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things compared to like, you know, Elon Musk or, you know, somebody like that, Tiger Woods, whatever, but that's still a good amount of money. Yeah. But it's like, I have to make up for how many people not making money and how many people like coming here from another country illegally, which, you know, argue the merits of the the word illegally there or not. And like a lot of those people want to work but they're now not able to work because of COVID or some other nonsense. Yeah. Like they would straight up work their butts off, be, you know, amazing people in the economy, but now they're not able to. So they're just going to live here for free. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's part of it for sure. Yeah. And it's also, we actually, I'll tell you who it is later, uh, but we 
had a acquaintance, I guess, that when we were maybe 25 or 26, mm-hmm. had declared bankruptcy twice already. Yeah. And it's like, and and this, when you would talk to them about this, they would just, and like they're living way above their means. They're like, oh, well, I'll just do it again. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh my God. Like, but also they can do that. So it's like, yeah. it's like, this is a terrible mindset, but also you can do that. Yeah. It's and like it does mother- have some consequences, but it it's not consequences that are that big of a deal. Yeah. Like my mother-in-law has done it like three times. And it's well, but not, not by the like, time they were not by not by the time she was twenty five probably <laughs> no no but like it the amount of debt that she was wiping out was like less than like our annual income you know what I mean like it's right. like what <laughs> like how like how is this a thing like I totally get like. You know, you go out on a limb to start, like, say, a lawn mowing business or something like that, you know, like a practical business. Like, I don't dis, like, I disagree with the concept of bankruptcy, but I don't disagree with the concept of bankruptcy. Like, let's say if you had it in a contract, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, like, I'm going to take this risk. I'm taking on all these things, and this is what I'm going to do if things go wrong. And just know that you guys are going to have to eat the other end of it. Like, if, like we can't sell the capital equipment and any pat, you know, whatever for the amount of the loan. Now, obviously the loans would be smaller in, in the, in our system and that, but I don't dislike the idea of being able to discharge the debt in some capacity, but I hate the idea that like, yeah, somebody's just going to tell me I'm taking a haircut and this, this person's serially doing it. But because they've stacked the system against me being able to make money, I have to take these risks. So that's like the thing is just like, man, if like you and I became millionaires, it's like you're just now walking around with like a target on your back. Like not only from lawsuits, but just from like additional taxes. And like that's the thing that drives me nuts is like, so I listen to. Unless you become like one of the elite. You know, if you, if you can move into that, then, you know, you get to write the rules. So, yeah, but like, that's the problem is like, I don't think you and I, like if we suddenly became Jeff Bezos rich, yeah, they would just have to move out of the way because the the things we would be doing would be insane. Like we would just literally start building nuclear power plants and be like, try to shut it down. Like we've got guns. (laughs) Like, Good luck. Yeah. You know, that sort of nonsense where it's like, we're so rich, there's nothing you can do to stop this. But that's where like, I don't think like you or I have that sort of personality where it's suddenly like, I make the rules. Like we would have to be so rich beyond and then be like, oh yeah, now, now we can do that. And it's like, yeah, dude, you, you got, you two have been the richest people on the planet for 20 years. Like no one's close. It's like, and then we'd be like, oh, we could write the rules. Like no one told us, you know? Well, so. so I think also to get to that level, I think a lot of times I, you know, to put my tinfoil hat on a little bit, there's a lot of shady things about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these, and Bill Gates, mm-hmm. all these types of people where it's like, yeah, they probably from a early age were somehow involved with the government or CIA or some sort of organization yeah. that's related to that. That's the thing is like, I don't necessarily 
know or agree or disagree there because I don't know enough in that regard. But I think at a certain point, like the companies that get that big, mm-hmm. they are in bed with like, even if it's just selling the government toilet paper, like you don't do any like true shady stuff like host, you know, like Microsoft and Amazon are fighting over some like deep web government hosting craziness or I forget what it is really. It's not deep web, but you know what I mean? Right. Like they're, they're fighting over that like sort of thing. So like, I think you just run into that thing where it's like, if you try to not do business with the government, when you get to a certain size, like you just can't exist any further. Like you end up right. having to do business with them, even if you're not like in some way getting funding from them, you know, like specifically targeting funding from them. It's right. like, oh, like I'm a lawn mowing company. I'm the largest lawn mowing company in the on the country. Suddenly you're mowing like the post office's lawns. It's like, I didn't yeah. seek this out. I'm just, this is just literally like a, like a contract that we got awarded but then you're seeking, you know, all that stuff. So like, that's the kind of insidious insipid nature of the government. It's like, you can't be a big business and not do business with the government. Like, yeah. and that's what sucks is like, even if you're just like, yeah, I'm not interested in, I don't want to be a contractor for the government. I don't want to provide services to the government. You still end up doing it. And it's just mm-hmm. so, but yeah, I, I totally agree there. Now that we've done that complete tinfoil hat, do you want to hear about the wine that I actually had? We are yeah, on show doing. occasionally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get we'll get back into this because there's the article I have is sort of related to these market manipulations and yeah. also plays into something I've been talking about for several weeks between you and mm-hmm. me and texts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting. So cool. uh, I also have a drink tonight. So why don't you go ahead and go and I will uh-huh. then tell you my drink. So I'll have you guess first, real quick. Did I get a European or an American wine? Mm, American. Wrong. Really? Okay. Did I'm I surprised. get a Spanish or a Portuguese wine? Uh, I hope Portuguese, because I'm always interested in those. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I got Quinta das Carvalas Torriga Nacional uh, Duro. So it's 2017. 14% ABV, 100% Tariga Nacional, uh, 12 months in oak. They tell you the temperature that you should try to serve it at. So it's like uh, cool. like 18 degrees Celsius, which I think worked out to be 64 degrees Fahrenheit. I clearly did not serve it at that low of a temperature. I did actually serve it warmer. Uh, they tell you that you should decant it before time. Like this was 1999 at like total wine. Really mm-hmm. good. But unlike my previous memory of Tariga national um it wasn't all that aggressive like so like pitch black kind of purple in the smell like i couldn't really get anything else but dry but not like dried out your mouth completely but dry long lingering finish kind of jammy um but like low burn like it, it was really just very pleasant and it you know like how you get like a sipping wine where it's like this is not like driving me one way or the other. It's just, it's a good drink. Mm -hmm. That's how this was. And like my wife tried it and she was like, that is really good. And she doesn't really go in for the big reds and the dry reds. And now I know it's a European wine. um, So they're definitely not as usually like 
fruit forward as American wines, but like the Portuguese wines and the Spanish wines are usually kind of hotter climate wines, So they're usually yeah. a little more that way. This was just like thumbs up. Like I'm do- doing it like we're doing video, like you can see me, but it's just mm-hmm. a thumbs up wine, like fantastic. Well, a lot of times they compare Torrega Nacional to uh, like a like a mix of Cab Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon, so you get sort of a little bit of both of that kind of mm-hmm. in it, um, and then the, and similar body and structure, but it is its own grape that is yeah. unique to Portugal, which is pretty cool, and. Um, I think they use it. I think that's the one they use in port all the mm-hmm. time. And they've just kind of recently started branching out into more fine wines, I guess would be the way to put that. Uh, since the EU came in and built all those roads for them up into the mountains where they grow this. Yeah. And um, cause they used to bring it all down on in these big barrels on the river. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I guess since the EU came in and did all these road investments, now it's easier to get it out. And, uh, Traditionally, they have these sort of like, um, I don't remember what they call them, but they're like communists, basically growing situations where yeah, all of the farms are sort of publicly owned by the, the farmers and they all work them. And then they didn't used to be able to do anything other than sell to the people who make port. And then now that things have liberalized a little bit, they're kind of branching out and making stuff. And this turns out that this is a really great grape for making um, wines, but because it's not as well known, it's still a really great bargain. Yeah. It, that was like, it was a, like, I think it's like my memory of the varietal. This is my favorite one of it. I think, and mainly cause it was just a relaxing drink. It wasn't like, it didn't challenge me to like kind of pick anything out of it. It was, it was just very good. So, yeah. Uh, what you got a total wine? You said. Mm-hmm. What was it called again? I just want to look it up. Uh, so, give me a second. So Q U I N T A is the first word, and then Dos D A S, and then Carvalas C A R V A L H A S, and then Toriga Nacional Duro. Oh, okay. They also make a port. I. Th- think i've actually had this and done it on one of our episodes like you might have years ago yeah i don't think it was that long ago um but it might have been it does it say duro or tinto no this is duro duro okay yeah it looks really familiar it's got like that swan on top of a coat of arms i don't remember what the bottle had on it i don't have it in front of me um and i didn't take a picture i meant to it looks from it looks familiar, and I've had at least at the Total Wine that was in downtown Dallas where I used to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I've had all of their Portuguese wine or red wines at least, not their not the white wines, but all of the red wines because they didn't have that many. I think there was maybe six or seven total, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've had all of the ones that they had there. But I could be wrong. How much did you say you paid for it? Nineteen ninety nine. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, no. I like I would have been frustrated at forty dollars, I think. Um, but twenty bucks was a, it was a good good drink. And like for fourteen percent alcohol, like it wasn't like really it couldn't like I couldn't really detect the alcohol in it, so that was good. Yeah. Looks like they also make a port. 
So yeah, it's pretty, pretty typical of most of the, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, it's like, uh, we forgot this barrel. So now it's port. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's the other thing that's cool about Portugal and the wines that they make is they have, um, they, uh, when they're making port, a lot of times they'll take, take, take off a per, a percentage of the wine out of the, these very big barrels mm-hmm. and then add more grapes to continue to ferment it. So they have these like vats that have been fermenting for, I think like one was like 140 years or something like that. So it's just, they take a little bit off, add more, take a little bit off, add more, which is kind of kind of like that, a uh, mother stew or it's like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. 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 Or like the, what is it? The mother yeast or whatever. And like when, mm-hmm. for like people who make the, um, sourdough and stuff like that. Sourdough. Yeah. 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 Where you just take a little bit off for the cooking and that, but it, but it grows for years, which is really neat. Yeah. So I've got today, um, something that we brought back up with us from our trip down to Fredericksburg. Now, this is one of the wineries that I poo-pooed in the past <laughs> and I will continue to poo-poo because I don't think their wine is very good. But <laughs> their mead is very good, oh. and um, it's uh, it's well, it's actually from Texas Mead Works, but it's the same people who own Blue Lotus uh, Winery, and, and their wine is fine. Like I, I do, like I, I poo poo it because they are within proximity to some really phenomenal wineries, mm-hmm. and their wine is just okay, and it's kind of expensive, <laughs> I think. Um, but their meat is very good and Victoria liked it a lot. So, uh, I believe I've actually reviewed this before the first time I went down to blue Lotus and I it's their, so. uh, blue Blair. I'm sorry, say it again. I was going to say, I think you, I, I think you reviewed one of their meads, but I don't remember if it was a, I don't remember the specific one. Yeah, I don't either. I, I think it's probably this, um, or they do have several different berry ones. This one is a blueberry one. It's blueberry mm-hmm. Jasmine. Um, Texas Mead Works. It's uh, well, Agora Brewing would be able to tell us more about it. It's a mellow meal or mellow mel, M E L O M E L, which I think is the style of mm-hmm. making it. I do not recall how much we paid for it, but it's eleven percent ABV. Um, it's good, and uh, it's much sweeter than uh, drinks I typically like, but I do like this one. Uh, it's actually, mm-hmm. you know, what it reminds me a lot of. The, the blackberry wine that uh, I used to drink, the one of the first ones that I liked. Yeah, I drove past Horton. Oh, like, yeah, that's right. You told up, me that. Drove past Horton, yeah. yeah. And uh, Barbersville. So, well, that's when cool. we went up yeah. to uh, Lou Ray, as they call it. Lou Ray, yeah. Lou Ray. Oh, no, yeah. no. Lou Ray. Lou Ray. Okay. Yeah, like, like Lou Rockwell. <laughs> like, yeah, that's Lou cool. Ray. I was like, Lou Ray. Well, this like was good. Blue, I liked it. It's actually not made at that particular location. They they actually, mm-hmm. I don't think they make anything at that location. They just have a tasting, but they, they're planning to build out that, that location and uh, put in some like cabins and stuff like that for people to come and just enjoy the property. Cause it's a pretty property, but oh. they make everything. Uh, I think they make it all out in. Um, Seguin, I think it's called. Seguin, mm-hmm. Texas, which is kind of closer to Houston, but not in Houston, which is kind of odd. You wouldn't think that they would make, well, you might think that they make mead there, but I wouldn't think that they would grow wine grapes there, but apparently they do. And that might be ill-advised because I don't, again, I don't think their wine's particularly good, um, <laughs> but 
uh, but that's the I thing is like, the grapes could be fine. It just could be the way they use the grapes. Could that's, be. that's also true too. I don't, I don't know that much about, uh, their operation. Uh, but mm-hmm. like, again, like I said, they're right down the street from Coleman and like not too far away from Peridonalis and not very far away from a whole bunch of other wineries that are really good wineries. And theirs is just, it's like this pocket of like mediocrity in the sea of like really good stuff. But grant, granted, I also haven't tried every single winery in that area. I, well, you know. I mean, that's the thing is like, it, it's kind of like, um, it's like, you, you know, like the Michelin stars, like the super, super high end restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's two Michelin star restaurants right here. And we got McDonald's. It's like, yeah. And yeah. McDonald's is fine. Yeah. So. McDonald's is fine. But those two star, those two restaurants have Michelin stars. Yeah. Like, exactly. And, and that's kind of how I feel about it. Now, granted, this is another granted, I guess. Uh, it was clearly good enough or they ha- they offer something good enough that it's attracted me to go there multiple times. So um, so as much as I complain true. about them, I do I do continue to go. <laughs> it's true. Oh, uh, we drove past uh, possibly the most offensive wine winery name that I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was it? Well hung winery. Oh, that is, that that could be, um, offensive in multiple ways too. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So their picture has like, you know, guys in jeans that, you know, it's not like a huge bulging package or something like that. Right. But like, it's clearly like what it's implied to be, but like, so (laughs) like, why would you you know, like, yeah. Like I'm, I'm obviously from here. I know a lot of history of the United States. So I know that what people often call the Confederate flag is the battle flag of the South. Mm-hmm. And it's fought and been flown in every war the United States has ever participated in. That's not necessarily a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing per se. It's just a thing. So like at some point we were driving around up in a uh, Blue Ray and uh, or Page County is what it is. It was the county we were in, um, and somebody had a was flying a very large <laughs> battle flag of the South. <laughs> it was kind of like we are in super super Southern Virginia, and like that was the thing is like because Blue Ray is not like necessarily like along the like the North Carolina border, it's in the mountains and it's yeah. kind of like closer to like the upper part of West Virginia. So like it would have been dead center in Virginia if West Virginia hadn't left. And so, but like it was very white. <laughs> I like think one of the only black people we saw was this very sweet old lady who worked at the thrift store. Like we went into their local thrift store and it was like an actual thrift store where everything was cheap and it wasn't like everything was cheap, but like it was like everything was busted. Everything was cheap because it was people who had donated to donate and hopefully get somebody to you know get a good couch for their their life, that sort of thing. So yeah. it was like a true working thrift store. And I was just like, I haven't seen one of these in like 20 years. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so Yeah, it's like it was funny, but like it was like very like very white and i was you know i didn't think neither here nor there i didn't think they nobody 
nobody seemed mean. There wasn't like bad graffiti around, but like we drove past that well hung winery and it's just like white people. Yeah. <laughs> As Malice <laughs> would say. It was just yeah. like, nope. That's that seems that just doesn't seem smart. And then Yeah. It's a pretty part of Virginia. I I always like going up there. In like so one of the things that I often you know, like when you see people like pictures of the mountains, like West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like in the middle of the summer and it's super lush and green. Always in the back of your head you have to remind yourself it's as humid as Virginia Beach. Oh if yeah. not more. Yeah. And it's the same temperature. So it's like <laughs> Mosquito City. You're just like, oh good God. Yeah, it's it, hot it and is sweaty all the time. Yeah. Well, and that's what's kind of what's funny about uh well, there's a couple things that are kind of funny about that. Like the just the difference between the West and the East is um how much elevation makes a difference in humidity out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just going up or just going down to you know Fredericksburg, it is significantly higher than Dallas. Well, mm-hmm. I would say probably not significantly, probably like a thousand feet or something. But uh it's so much drier down there than here. Yeah. Which is just kind of odd because you're going south and Austin is not particularly dry. It's a pretty no, humid. It's not. And um, but once you get up in kind of the up and hill country, it's just a lot drier. And uh at least the air is drier. I mean, they get plenty of rain and stuff, but I mean, uh, just a different grapes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, that's a, a big difference. Then the other thing too, is like the mountains in Virginia versus the mountains in like Colorado. It's just a very different thing, but it's also an age thing, you know? Yeah. So, or well, like the a lot I of people are, like the oldest mountains in the world. I think so. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, when they talk about the Ozarks, they say the mountains, even though I think it's called the Ozark Hills, but, um, that's the other side of the Appalachians. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's like they're, they're hills. They're not mountains, at least not from my standpoint, because I grew up at the, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, which are the same size as a lot of those mountains. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it's just it's just a different perspective thing, which I always I always thought was kind of interesting. Just the east and west. All right, uh, let, let's. Um, oh, did you want to know how high Fredericksburg actually is? Yeah, yeah. Tell me. One thousand six hundred and ninety three feet. So pretty close. Pretty good guess. What's Dallas's? I was looking up at the Appalachians to see if I could see if they were the the Dallas's four hundred and thirty feet. Really? So yeah, huh. so about. So about 500 foot different, a little more yeah. than 500 feet, I guess. But it looks like Fort Worth is actually 200 feet higher than Dallas. I knew I liked it better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we actually went the- to Fort Worth. Speaking of, we went to a mm. drive in movie yesterday. Um, Interesting. Which- Oh, it was the best weather for a drive-in. Uh, this this probably this month is just great because it cools off a lot at night this time of year. Mm-hmm. And um, we, <laughs> we went to go see actually Free Guy, but somehow either the ticket taker got confused or I got confused, and I parked us in front of Shang Chi. And once all the cars are filled in, it's kind of 
A, it's rude you're, to you're leave. Stuck. And yeah, you're kind of stuck. So we were like, well, we'll just watch Shang-Chi. And turned out Shang-Chi was actually really good. Um, it was just, you know, a Kung Fu movie, basically. We kept calling it a Jackie Chan movie, which is probably racist, but uh, it was basically that. It had like a lot. It was it was funny, but it was also lots of Kung Fu. Well, that's the thing is like Jackie Chan. It's like a they're back in the late 80s, early 90s, like seeing a Jackie Chan movie, even if it didn't have Jackie Chan, like, yeah, people would say it's racist now, but it's like, no, it's a very specific style of Asian cinema that Jackie Chan, at least for what was brought to the West, like headlined, like that was what he did. And a bunch of people like mimicked it. So, yeah. And they, and they definitely were mimicking, uh, I think a lot of the Jackie Chan style. Cause it's a, it's a Marvel movie. So it's Disney. Yeah. Um, and they were doing like a lot of the kind of like where, you know how he uses stuff around him a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of that kind of stuff where, so it was like, it had a lot of the Jackie Chan element. It also had like a lot of the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon kind of like weird dancing thing, like where they're like floating in the air and all they have to do is like touch a cloud and they can bounce off the cloud and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I think that was always kind of the thing that was so interesting to me about Jackie Chan is it's like he was a good martial artist, like in the hist- in the the world of the movie, but like he was never the best. So he always had to improvise. Yeah. And I think that was always interesting. Whereas like Bruce Lee, like really didn't, it was just like, Oh no, it's my body. Like my body's the weapon. Whereas like Jackie Chan's was like, I don't want to die. Like, yeah. Kind of always like Mr. Bean in it. <laughs> like It kind of, I mean, you know, there were yeah. certain, there were certain scenes where like I pointed out at Victoria and I was like, Oh, this kind of reminds me of legend of drunken fist. And, um, I think it's, or maybe legend of drunken master. I don't remember what it is exactly, but, where the one where he has to drink alcohol to become good at Kung Fu. I like, I saw so few of them, um, like fully, like my uncle had, you know, several on DVD. Like I saw the rush hours, that sort of stuff. And I saw like a bunch of his more American ones, but like the ones that were actually like in China, like produced or Hong Kong produced. I didn't really see many of those. Oh, it was, it was that one's so super good. I remember either it's either that one or the second one. He ends up drinking industrial alcohol toward the end so that he can get more power to like defeat the enemies. <laughs> and it's so good, but he's also such a good physical actor and he has the facial mm-hmm. expressions for mm-hmm. it as mm-hmm. well that him being drunk in the movie is just excellent. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's one of the best ones. Uh, Nate and I used to w- rewatch those all the time. Yeah, I I was surpri- surprised you hadn't seen that uh that one yet, the Shang-Chi. Uh I've actually kind of been off the Marvel stuff lately. I I just it's been t- a little bit too preachy, I think, and um I actually also never really cared about Shang-Chi the character in the comics. Like he just wasn't yeah. in he wasn't in any section of Marvel that I read. Like he would show up sometimes and I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, it's Shang-Chi or whatever." But like I never read Iron Fist. I never I I maybe read a couple of daredevils and he would show, show up a lot more in that. But like those, those heroes, if they weren't really connected to X-Men, I never really read them much. Uh, yeah. So it just was a, it was like a world like twice removed from the world that I paid attention to. And, uh, cause it like, he would show up even less frequently than like daredevil or somebody in, in X-Men stuff. So yeah. Aware of him. Well, so, but this was, this one, I, I liked what they did with it. Um, they had a lot of Asian jokes that I think they did well 
as not to offend the proprietary police or whatever, or the, the SJWs, yeah, know, whatever you call what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was a lot of Asian jokes. There was a lot of, I, I would say tasteful white people jokes kind of, um, and the characters, they were, a, you were able to care about the characters really quickly, which is hard to do in a lot of movies, especially superhero movies. If you're not familiar with the superhero. So they yeah. really emphasize the, the characters themselves, not necessarily their superpowers and stuff. And it makes you like them because they very quickly establish their personalities and, and give like enough backstory where you're like, Oh, I care about these people now. And, um, yeah, it's just, it was good. I liked it a lot. I was, I was happy that we made a mistake. Uh, we'll probably go back next week and see free guy and hopefully I'll park in the right spot this time. <laughs> um, but what was also cool is that, so this drive-in theater has like a, a canteen set up in the middle, which is just basically a bar. Um, but it's open and cover or it's open, but covered with like a metal roof. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was cool. They had decorating the inside were banners that showed all of the old drive-ins in Fort Worth. This is the only one left. Uh, but it had like little banners that were advertising all of the drive-ins that existed in the area. And it showed like their years. So it was like 1950 to 1973, you know, cause the drive-ins, I, I don't know if they were not, as popular out east or not, but like out west, drive-ins are were a huge thing up until probably the mid '90s, probably even earlier than that, because there there was only one left in um our general area in California. But mom used to talk about it all the time. She's like, "This was actually a really big thing," and one of the reasons people liked it. And this sort of uh shows you something they talk about actually in the Fourth Turning, uh, which is the, that book that I was telling you about, is that you had this culture change where the fifties were everything was very, very kid centered. So everything was inclusive of, of children. And one of the reasons why drive-ins were popular, at least this is what my mom tells me is because if parents wanted to go to a movie, it was sort of difficult to get a kid to sit in the seat next to you to watch an entire movie or, or even a double feature or something like that. Um, but so what drive-ins gave you the opportunity to do is you could watch the movie the kids could, if they want to fall asleep in the back of the car or in the back of the station wagon in my family's case. Um, and also there was usually a playground. So you could kind of take a break and go to, go to the playground and play with the kids or, and stuff like that. It was just an easier movie going experience than going into a theater. Mm -hmm. And so what in the fourth turning, they talk about this, that in the 1970s, which is sort of the, those kids that grew up in the fifties, everything was about them. And so when they went into the 70s, of course, everything's about them still. So things started becoming very adult-centric again. And that's sort of why you sort of uh, – well, this is my interpretation of it is you saw sort of a decline of the drive-in because people didn't want to go do stuff with their kids anymore. They wanted to uh, go out on dates. And also the, the divorce rate was high, so you wanted to go out on a date with your new girlfriend or whatever and not have the kids running around and stuff. So just a different – just that's sort of what I, I think about these things when I'm going out and doing stuff that like, why was it that these things went away and you know, what changed it? And then things like in California, they were big because the weather's good. And that's so that's what I was going to say is like, you have to remember like here, there's two things. Think about the lack of space, yeah. like open additional space. And then just the, the pure heat. So like once air conditioning really started to be a thing, 
Like, what are you going to go and just run your car the entire time? You know what right. I mean? Like, and then I think this is kind of one of those ones where you could look at like the downfall of the, uh, the ratings board as part of driving that. Cause like mm-hmm. how much more generally family friendly were films in the fifties. You know what I mean? Like, and that's partially in my opinion because of like those censorship boards and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. going into the seventies where things kind of opened up more, so there were kids movies and there are plenty of, again, family entertainment movies, but like, I think things were trending toward, you know, like Jason, not like that bad of a movie, but like, you know, movies like that, where it's like more of the horror movie, like Rosemary's baby, like these like sure. actual, like scary, scary movies that were intended to be scary and not just like, Oh, it's the wolf man. And you know, it's, it's scary for the time, but like, kind of cheesy still whereas like this is actually supposed to be a scary movie yeah and that could be it's just interesting interesting experience and i like going and doing stuff like that victoria loved it uh she (laughs) they don't they don't have anything like that in ukraine so oh yeah um so it was definitely an experience and i don't think i've been to a drive-in since i was maybe 12 i have never been to a drive-in Oh, if you come out here, we should go because it's a lot of fun. It's also, like I said, it's it's fun for kids too because there's like a playground and stuff like that. They also have a, the uh, like an outdoor bar, and you can just. There was also for some reason there was a luau going on next to it, so we also walked over to the luau and watched people like throw fire around. So it was just pretty neat. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like maybe it's because the fiesta is no longer comfortable to sit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just, I'm like. Yeah, I do. But I, most people most people weren't sitting in their car. They brought uh chairs with them and just sat in front of the car. Yeah, but like so like um I've been smoking a lot of cigars. Uh-huh. And I watched a video on like how to properly smoke a cigar cuz like I you remember like when I would smoke cigars like it'd be all weird and I'd have to burn it to try to get it like even again and like I kind yeah. of found out how to like they didn't expressly say like doing this will stop that. But like, I kind of figured out how to control that better. And like, I was thinking like the camp chairs that we have, I was just like, there's no way I could sit through a movie in that. Cause it's uncomfortable after a certain amount of time. And then I was just like, <laughs> but then I thought about it. I was like, no, I am smoking a cigar that entire, like for the length of a movie roughly. Yeah. So maybe, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you and I went to the movies together occasionally not a huge amount. Um, but like we watch a lot, like when we watched a lot of movies, like my wife and I, it would be at the house. Like we would watch a movie at the house. Maybe we might go see a movie in theaters. And like, now that I've got a kid, like once they kind of start ramping up kids movies again, you know, we'll probably go see more of them. But like, I don't have a huge theater experience. Like, anymore like it's not like a nostalgia thing for me um partially because like you know like i don't really like salt all that much so the popcorn was never never a huge draw um but we we went out and got sushi before which of course because that's what victoria likes yeah um and then we i just had i had two beers while i was there she didn't have anything other than her water yeah Um, but uh anyways we're, we're running toward the end so let me 
I'll, yeah. I'll, let me give a summary of my article real quick because I think it's an interesting article and it's something I think the listeners should look out for in the next year or so. Sounds good. I've been telling you for a long time that I think we're headed for a deflationary bust before the big inflation, like hyperinflation, runaway inflation kind of thing. So I don't remember that it was before. I thought it was going to be in place, but I may not have just. Well, I I think there's no way to avoid hyperinflation. It's going to happen at some point. I don't know when, but I I don't Mm -hmm. see their. I don't know how they could get themselves out of this, but I could also be wrong. Um, But I think there's a lot of stuff that is pointing toward at not necessarily deflation in like the Austrian sense, um, but CPI deflation. So yeah, where and and it's, I think a lot of it is that people don't have any money anymore. The stimulus has run out. There are currently fifty three ships full of garbage from overseas parked outside of like uh, the California, the big port in California, the one in Los Angeles, I think it is. Um, they're going to double overtime to unload all of that, ship it around the country. They're going like basically nobody has any money, but the shelves. We they sent a signal with all the stimulus stuff telling people buy. So the signal went out that people are buying stuff, but now they don't have any money. So now all this stuff is coming here that we ordered. And we can see based off of a lot of stuff that demand is going way down. And um, this article kind of reinforces that, that we do we are starting to see um, deflation in wine prices. And uh not a lot yet, but they're showing like it's a curve. So it's like, it's starting to trend down and there's several reasons why is one, people don't have any money and two, it's been two years of lockdown, but also two years of pretty good wine production worldwide. There's been pockets of areas where it's not been doing well, but we had at the beginning of the pandemic, we had um, such a good year that everything was full they couldn't produce any more and they were trying to like p- get people to produce ethanol to just kind of unload it and stuff like that. So they just made so much wine. Uh, the year before that, actually before the whole COVID crap, um, they had the same thing where they were trying to freeze the grapes and ship it to other countries just to get it to process it into wine because they were, were the like, open amp, like wine vault in like Slovakia. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like they, were, they were trying to like yeah. do anything to store it because they were making so much of it. It was such good years. And then last year, most of the world had another really good year. Um, even places like South Africa and Australia, where they've had all of these kind of draconian lockdown measures and a lot of weird civil conflict and stuff like that. They also had crazy production levels. So, with that and the fact that worldwide also people basically have no money anymore, um, they're starting to see that it looks like this curve is flattening and, and coming down and that we may end up going into a period of time where um, wine prices come down pretty significantly. And and not just like regular consumer wine because that stuff is is pretty – like you know barefoot or whatever – pretty steady like people don't really move up from that that's kind of like the budweiser of wine like if that's what you drink that's what you drink and um it seems like what's going on though is for the fine wine the higher end wine um it's going to be coming down significantly so like what you're drinking now which is about a 20 dollar bottle that would come down to like 14 or 15 dollars a bottle and it would and a lot of it would just be because stores like total wine will need to clear inventory in order to make room for new inventory. And when they do that, 
in order to get rid of it, they have to cut prices. Otherwise, yeah, and it, it's not like they have a huge operation like where they're intending to age wine. Like they're right, exactly. They are a like there are bottles that they will store for long term, um, you know, value wise. But like otherwise, right. they're clearing inventory. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and and a, and a lot of these places too. And they mentioned this. I, I and I can't tell you who wrote it because I also closed it and can't find it again. But um, one of the things that they were pointing out that I thought was really interesting is that the the stores like Total Wine um, and Specs and that type of place, they're just not designed to keep things for a long time. So the the issue with if they were like, oh, well, we'll just leave it on the shelf and not order new stuff is one, they they're, they have contracts that say they have to purchase a certain amount from certain people mm-hmm. and for it to come through. But in addition to that, um, wine does go bad if it's not stored properly. And mm-hmm. um, they, they're not, the stores are not designed to, to keep these bottles of wine for multiple years. Really, it's not even designed to keep it for multiple months. It's just... It's supposed to kind of come. It's it's that just in time shipping and stuff that yeah. everybody's been talking about. It's that's kind of what it is. Is their inventory is supposed to get there, be unloaded and sold within a short period of time, so that the new stuff coming in can fill that spot. And we're running into this case where there are going to be shortages of certain items, but CPI people remember is actually bod, uh, It's broad based. It's not just because bacon is like ten dollars higher or whatever. Uh, right now doesn't mean that there's C- that there's CPI inflation because if you know uh, and we and we're actually starting to see this in housing and in cars as well the curve is kind of starting to trend down mm-hmm. is if a lot of these items are now trending down but then there's certain things that are produced domestically like you know sometimes pork beef usually usually those are produced uh, domestically certain types of perishables uh, but then like you, you were saying like asparagus for example, gets shipped from all over the place. Paraguay, where did you say it was from? Paraguay? Peru. 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 So you yep. get these things that are just shipped from all over the place. And depending on what's going on there, they just have to get rid of it. Um, so this is all kind of adding together into this sort of larger narrative that I've been thinking might be the case. Um, also because of certain things that are happening, particularly in China, but also in other parts of the world where dollar demand is going higher. Um, that also is a counter to inflation. So if there's all of these different things that are counter to CPI, we'll see all of a sudden just basically prices crash. And uh, which would, it's kind of counter to what we would normally think as you know, libertarians is that we, we're always talking about inflation and stuff like that. But there are also the reverse repo markets are kind of, that adds to this whole, bizarre situation where they printed ungodly amounts of money, but because of other circumstances worldwide, I think we may see this deflationary bust and that we're going to see that in wine too, where I think we're going to see like 25% or more cut off of bottles of wine that we normally would have paid quite a bit more for. Um, but then we'll see things like beef is way more expensive for some reason. So it's going to well, be, yeah, it's going to be an odd situation. Well, that's, that's kind of actually easier to explain because so much wine is produced domestically, but so much is produced internationally. Yeah. What you could see is a outflow of wine from the United States. Like, cause you know, people like dollar, like you were saying, dollar demand is up. 
So that right. means that it's usually easier to buy foreign things. So you buy the foreign things at a cheaper price and then could sell, you know, like sell the the domestically produced things. Because like France basically got like wiped out this year. Yeah. And in the wine production. I know that's not true, but like France does consume an utter boatload of wine. So they're going to have to like if they have a true like issue issue in production, they're going to be like importing like U.S. wine because like, yeah, where else like volumetrically in production like that's going to be able to cover it that doesn't domestically consume it. So yeah. Um, but beef, which like you said, doesn't really get sold. Like, I mean, us beef does get sold abroad, but not as frequently. And then, but us pork does. So you could see pork because it doesn't have an outflow. It's your, it's being competed for like price wise, like spend your dollars here or let them outflow to foreign countries where there's like a higher return. So beef prices could go up. So I can definitely see like the logic behind that. And that's one of the things that's like, you know, Rothbard talks about is like things should be getting cheaper. Like it's deflation is the actual norm with, from a technological production standpoint, because like things get easier. So right. And then as things phase out, they may get more expensive because they become so niche. (laughs) Right. But overall they still would be cheaper. Yeah, and I and I think that there's we're kind of seeing I think and I think this next couple of years might actually be really good for the the freedom message in general is because people can kind of see what's going on where they're like why is beef so expensive at the grocery store, but then they go on and uh, I don't know if I told you this but Carr and I uh, went in halves on buying a quarter of a cow, yeah, and um, so we're going to get that butchered and then but when you do it that way. If you go onto like Craigslist or whatever, there's cows for sale. And the reason that meat is becoming scarce in grocery stores and is because of these COVID restrictions, they're not processing it. And Mm -hmm. and the way that the government regulations are set up, they can only process it at specific areas. Like in Texas, we do, I think there are meat processors here, but a lot of the beef gets shipped up to North Dakota to be processed. Mm -hmm. And um, and then put onto feedlots while they're processing it. But like a lot of these lots where they, where you, you know, you may raise your cow as a grass fed cow or whatever, and then you sell it and it gets shipped up to these feedlots to be finished on grain or whatever. Um, all of these facilities are not set up to be able to hold these for long periods of time. So mm-hmm. we've got these like where they're, where they basically go, okay, everybody has to be vaccinated that works here or, oh, we're shutting down because of COVID. And now you have all of these supply chains where now at the end of that, the ranchers that have the cows are like, well, shit, like I've got a whole bunch of cows. I usually sell these. I don't know what else. I don't like at the ranch. Yeah, we can hold them, but I need the cash flow. Um, mm-hmm. But at the feedlot, they're going, we can't even hold these. We just have to kill them all and bury them or throw them out back or whatever because we yeah. can't process the meat. And it's illegal for us to sell it to, you know, Joe Schmo butcher down the street where he'll chop it up and put it in all the different cuts and sell it individually to the grocery store. He, he can sell it the way that we're, that we're buying it, where we buy the cow, he butchers it up and then we come and pick it up because we've, we own part of the cow. Like they can do it that part that way. But there's this like bizarre government regulated stream of marketing that works, you know, incredibly well to provide you with pretty inexpensive beef until a new mandate comes through where they go, yeah, you can't chop up the meat anymore. 
And then it's like backed up, backed up, backed up. And then you get these ranchers where they got, you know, 300 head of cattle that they weren't expecting to have and, and new calves. And they're like, well, crap. And also no cash flow. So they're like, okay, well, we just need to get, so we're getting actually a really good deal on this because a lot of these guys down here that grow beef are just trying to unload this cattle any way they can. So it's actually a really interesting market that's developing where they like, where, I mean, it's already kind of existed. Well, we, hang on, we hang on. We're going to have to go into this on, on the next episode in full. Yeah. So, cause it, okay, it, yeah. we're hitting that point where I got to get going to bed. But the other thing is one of the things I think that people aren't taking into consideration with wine is the weakening of the entire alcohol market because mm-hmm. people have been locked up for so long that, you know, it's like the COVID 15 is becoming the COVID 30 or whatever. Yeah. And like people are, like have so many people have switched to like seltzer and things like right. that, like, or, you know, these alternatives, like I've seen multiple places now with multiple hard kombuchas, not necessarily right. on draft, but like, you know, we were, I was over across the street and my neighbors had like a fall camping seltzer pack that had like a s'mores, a like maple syrup, a like, pumpkin pie like seltzer and it was just like you know and it's like the zero cow like it was just completely artificial nonsense but it was like bud light like seltzer it was just insane and like i tried some of the maple one and it tasted straight up like maple syrup but like you look at the ingredients it didn't have anything that was maple syrup in it oh weird so it's like no this is this is artificial nonsense but yeah like that's i think where you know the other thing with wine is like not only you know the two big you know two massive years um but also just that general collapse of like the strong demand from covid so yeah. plus all well, the other things that we talked about yeah i mean and as things yeah you're right cuz as things open up people are probably going to be drinking less and then also more options things like that but yeah i mean i it's it's we're entering a really strange time where i think we are going to see extreme overall deflation and but also also really expensive items in other areas where it's going to be mm-hmm. kind of like one of those weird sort of, and it's, and all has to do with this, like just bizarre bizarreness that's going on because of the supply chains. Um, and, uh, but let's see if it comes true. I have, I have way more stuff to like back that statement yeah. up. Um, and I was on the signal with car camp at where we did talk a little bit more about it when we got into China Evergrande and stuff like that, which I think plays into this. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. So that's my plug though, yep. is to go check out the signal on the timeline earth, uh, formerly the friends against government pod- podcast. Um, but go check that out. Cause I was on there and we talked a little bit about, about that whole deflationary topic. Go. Cool. All, All right. right. You want to well, do our, our show plugs? Yeah. So you can follow us on uh, Twitter or well, you can follow Jacob on Twitter on Childerberg, uh, Childerberg uh, on Twitter. Uh, we do have Tasting Anarchy um, on Twitter as well, tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. And then our annual event in Texas is Childerberg, and that's the 28th through the 30th? That's correct. Of 2020? You got it. Yeah, of 2020 at Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area. Um, so yeah, we should be having some info coming out about that like early bird signups and stuff sometime soon if we haven't yeah, done soon, already. I, I i did just talk to the person who's in charge of letting us have the sites and there has been a policy change oh um, so 
they they can't actually let me have the sites on reservation until sometime in October, and I don't want to sell anything or yes. allow Understood. reservations before I actually have the reservations. So, yeah, totally um, makes sense. Yeah, so they're they're going to let us have it early. They're going to let us get a, a large number of sites more than we had last year, but um, they don't let us do it before. I think I think. I think normally they go up like four months ahead or five months ahead and they're going to let us have an additional month, but cool. um, that'll, that'll kind of give me a good, that'll give me a couple of weeks to like put them out, see how many people reserve spots. And then I can kind of maybe assess how many mm-hmm. additional spots we might need. Sounds um, good. Yeah. So. All right. All right. That's it, I guess. Yes, sir. All right. Everybody stay free. Stay free, everybody.